You're listening to the Southeast Asia Business Podcast with me, Dana Bluey. Oh yeah, flip the, flip the airplane mode. Uh, if you can't reach me, I apologize. I didn't ignore you, I was in the sky. In disguise, man, you know I got a big surprise. Ask me why, cause I'm What's going on, everyone? Dana Blue in Southeast Asia Business Podcast here on EFM, the one and only podcast network for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. With me today, we're talking with Edith Young. She's a partner at 500, one of the uh, few investors we've actually had on the show. So I think this is going to be an interesting conversation for all you guys out there. Edith, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, Dana, um, thank you for having me. I love your voice and energy. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much. Talk to me about 500. Talk to me about the life of a VC from the Valley. Um, So for those of you who may or may not know 500 Startups, uh, I like to make fun of it. We're no longer just 500, 500 startups. In fact, we have invested in over 2,000 startups. 2,000? Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. How long, though? 500 hasn't been around for a super long time, uh, right? Eight years now. Wow, that's a lot for eight years. Yeah, eight, eight years. Uh, we started in Silicon Valley. Mm. And uh, in Southeast Asia, we have Kylie Young. Um, mm. Kylie is amazing. And he has done some really awesome investment like Grab and Carousel in Southeast Asia. Yeah. Um, but in around the world, uh, now we have six unicorn now. Six so, unicorn. Yeah. Twilio and Sangrid are first to IPO. Uh, yeah. And we have Credit Karma, Intercom, Canva, Grab. Grab are six unicorn, and we have another 40 companies that worth 100 million plus. Uh, definitely, we we did a lot of things wrong, uh, but we also done something right. Yeah, when you have six unicorns and 40 companies worth 100 million plus, you're doing something right. Um, well, there was still, we have many, many other fail um, investments, and we obviously tr- yeah. always trying to learn and do much better. Lesson, this part of the game though is that, especially from a, I think a, a VC perspective, is failure because you're you're constantly hedging for yourself, right? Yeah, that's why um, we. We invest early. Uh, uh, our accelerator in Silicon Valley, we uh, asked for 150000 for 6% of the company. Mm. And we run it like a startup school. So in exchange, you spent four months with us in San Francisco. Mm. Uh, and, well, and what four months? Because that makes a big difference. Yeah. The, <laughs> Is it spring, summer, winter? <laughs> Um, that's true. I'm joking, so, I'm San Francisco could be really cold. Yeah. Um, but I think that you know, for for us, the four months usually, I think right now is March till July, and then we're going to start up again uh, in October. Okay, those are good months. Those yeah, are yeah. Good months. <laughs> yeah. And uh, we invited you over to really learn with really strong marketing and growth mm. focus. Um, for us in San Francisco, it's really close to Google, Facebook, yeah, Apple. Everyone, yeah. Yeah, and it's just great to have that community mm. for people who can just drive over and come and teach classes. That, um, that does make a big difference. Like being, I, I lived in California for a year. I lived in, in the Valley for a year. And, you know, I've, I've gone back numerous times. I think last time I was back, I was in San Francisco uh, doing something with Adobe back in, I think, 2015. Okay. You know, and it, it's every time I'm there, it's just the energy from like a, a business, from a startup perspective is just always so great. Mm-hmm. Right. And it, that's a hard thing to find anywhere else in the world. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. This mm. is definitely the Mecca uh, if you, you know, yeah. work on technology. For sure. I mean, or even just like in business in general. I mean, there's so many people with innovative ideas outside of tech. There's so many non tech startups that are just impressive in that region. Yep, so yep. it's a great environment. So I, 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 the value add there alone is yep. crazy. H- having said that, you know, 500 loves Southeast Asia. Otherwise, mm. we, we wouldn't be here. Yeah. Uh, at the same time, I think that it's just so good to sort of learn from both. Mm. Growth rate is definitely Southeast Asia. Mm. Um, in terms of just, there's still a good amount of population are getting on the mobile. Mm. And a lot of times I found being in Asia, um, regardless as North Asia or Southeast Asia, mm-hmm. just, just just so such a big population, yeah. right? And it's com- a huge population. Yeah. And I think right now the U.S. is about three hundred thirty million people. Yeah, about three thirty. Um, sure, like they in, in terms of GDP is higher than yeah. most of the country in in Southeast Asia. California as a state is higher uh, than most countries in <laughs> that's Asia. That's true. Uh, but having said that, just there's so in terms of growth rate, mm. um, the Southeast Asia is the exciting huge, place yeah. to be. Yeah, you talk about you know population versus GDP. Yeah, U.S. three hundred thirty million, but huge GDP. And I, I was joking with California, but I do believe they're like the seventh or eighth largest economy <laughs> yep. in the world <laughs> yep. as a state. Yep. Um, so 
obviously the, there's some economics at play there, but when you look at Southeast Asia as a market, and I, I've been to a, you know, pretty much every country in Southeast Asia, talked to entrepreneurs from every country, Indonesia is an exciting marketplace because it's huge. It's almost mm. as big as the U.S. Yep. Right? They've they've now have four unicorns that operate domestically. Yep. You know, you look at uh, Vietnam. It's an interesting market. Huge growth potential. Thailand, uh, where I live here in Malaysia, mm -hmm. Singapore. It's some it's a very diverse and interesting space. What about it though? Uh, you know, the growth. But what about like the the tech space is attractive to a VC because when you look at something like so you guys are invested in Grab, so I'll use that as an example. You know, Grab up until recently was competing with Uber in Southeast Asia. Mm -hmm. I, I would have personally never bet on Grab versus Uber, mm -hmm. right? If if I was an investor early on years ago, I would have been wrong, obviously, because Uber just exited Southeast Asia altogether. Yep. You know, what makes 500 so interested in the region? What like what did you guys see early on in Grab that? That brought you to that. We, we were so fortunate to have Kylie started, you know, almost at least four years ago. Yeah. And at the time, there's no grab, there's no, or, or super early, I don't remember yeah. the exact date. Um, what we see in Southeast Asia, I think we can borrow so much from either US and China. Mm. And, you know, what happened in China, similar, what you mentioned about grab, you know, end up acquired. Uh, Uber. Yeah. In fact, uh, I'm using Grab now. Yeah. Uh, I actually have both app. When I got to mm. the Malaysian KL airport yesterday, yeah. no car on my Uber app. So because they don't ex exist anymore. Yeah, they don't yeah. exist here anymore. And uh, what this is really what happened in in China? Mm. You know, I think Uber tried really really hard, but at the end of the day, anything that is really consumer focused mm. um, in the in this particular case on 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 demand. Uh, rise, mm. and and also in my head, I think um, a lot of social behavior, gaming mm. behavior, shopping behavior. These are the things that sure a, a, a U.S. or Chinese entity could come in and being the giants and dump yeah. as much money as possible. But there's a lot of local nuances and cultural differences. If you're not local, you really it's difficult to understand. For sure. And and those are the area that we found really exciting because mm. from a technical know-how, you can borrow from Silicon Valley or you can borrow from China. Mm. But at the end of the day, you need the local, you know, giants, ninja yeah. um, to really go after in terms of marketing and growth. Um, and some of these the tech backend, you can, you know, work with some of these guys in, in other countries. But mm -hmm. at the end of the day, I think, you know, young people consumption, mm. the, there's just certain cultural nuances that we, we really respect, that we think that Southeast Asia is just unique and exciting that in that sense. So 500 startups at the end of the day is, is very, so very Silicon Valley centric. For sure, yeah. Um, but we want to be, keep our minds as open as possible so we can sort of marry the both world, our know-how. Mm. So it's similar to yourself. You, know, you spend time in California, you, you get what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, I think there's really fun conversation that happened in California, but I think it's just so hard being sitting in San Francisco and understand what's the real pain point that a lot of people are going through. For example, right, um, I was chatting with a friend in the Philippines and he was telling me all these really creative things on driving mobile install mm. or they use smart contracts to basically whitelisting to allow certain app to have access to data because most of the Southeast Asian um, mobile market, they don't is not, it's all prepay. It's most not, of it, yeah, for the most part, yeah. yeah. And, and the relationship with the mobile carriers um, is just not the same as we would have with AT&T and Verizon. True. Right? So just that alone is not something that easy for, for Silicon Valley to understand. And that create um, opportunities mm. um, for a lot of the mobile developers or monetization platform to get creative. Mm. Um, and I'm very, very excited about that. Yeah, yeah, I, and I I can see why. I mean, it, it is a interesting space, and I, I agree with you that if before I ever lived in Asia, I had no idea about 
the market, the challenges, anything that happens here versus the way it is in the U.S. Yep. I would have thought, oh, it's kind of the same, but it's not at all. Yeah, it's not. And it, I, I can see why it's difficult for a company like Uber to compete with something like Grab. Yep. You know, when they come here because it's a different way of doing business. Yep, yep. But then I, I look at, because you mentioned China, and I, I look at China and... You know, for, for a long time, I think my, my perception was really skewed on what was going on in China mm -hmm. like, until I spent a little bit more time there. And I started to really see, you know, how they've been able to create a, a bubble, but a bubble that is, has allowed these companies like Alibaba, Tencent, uh, Huawei to thrive yep. and, and, you know, grow massively. Yep. And I wonder, though, like, so we look at something like WeChat which is a 10 cent product or a 10 cent platform. Mm -hmm. And you can essentially use WeChat for everything in China, yep. everything. And then we see Gojek kind of does something similar now mm -hmm. in Indonesia. Now I live in uh, Thailand where everyone uses a, an app called Line, mm -hmm. which is great because you don't even have to like know the local language if you can just choose the right sticker to convey what you want to say. Yeah. <laughs> um, but then, like here, you know, everyone uses in Malaysia, Philippines, everyone uses uh, WhatsApp, which mm -hmm. is the Facebook Facebook owns now. But we haven't seen anything kind of like globally take that kind of step and create this huge ecosystem that spans multiple countries, you know, outside of like say Facebook. But it doesn't have this whole inclusive ecosystem, right? Mm -hmm. Like a WeChat does. Have you, if you, in your experience as a as a VC? seen anything that kind of sparks your eye that like maybe is that thing that could creep in internationally, Southeast Asia, North America, Europe as a huge ecosystem of commerce? Um, so just to set, make sure that we're on the same page on, mm -hmm. on WeChat, right? Yeah. Um, I've, I think China is the number one in, in, in the world in terms of being it's a truly cashless society. Oh, for, for sure. No one's even close. <laughs> and and uh, I, I was actually, I flew in from, from China, uh, from Beijing, and it was hilarious. A couple of weeks ago, I, I didn't have enough uh, uh, credit on my WeChat app, <laughs> and I do have some R&B, mm. and I was in Hangzhou, and I wanted to pay for something. Yeah. And the cashier looked at me really dumbfounded because she's like, I haven't actually have to deal with cash since I joined the company. Wow. <laughs> because everybody either use Alipay or WeChat Pay. Yeah. And I just think that, wow, you know, this is so not even, the, definitely not the case in the U.S. No. And, you know, China did it, yeah. right? And I think that what WeChat have done, which I, I really wish WhatsApp could have done it and Facebook could have done it, and I can tell you why they didn't did it, just didn't do it just to begin with. It was because in the US, in order to trans to have these sort of mobile payment transaction, mm. uh, you need to get a state by state money transmitted license. Oh. So in order to it's do It's a regulatory thing. Uh, yeah, it's a very uh, it's not a it's, it's not technology bound, it's really all the banks trying to protect themselves. Yeah. And what happened in China was the bank didn't 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 have any infrastructure, and most people don't have a credit card, and only debit card. And it's just in general, it was such a cash-based society, really inconvenient. Um, so it was sort of out of no way they found a way. Yeah. Which because Facebook and WhatsApp are both sitting in beautiful sunny, you know, uh, Silicon Valley. It, they, first off, because of you know legal and policy, regulatory issue, mm. it just wasn't. It was took them longer to do this. Um, Facebook is slowly doing it now, yeah. um, but not WhatsApp yet. They, but they could if they yeah. want to. Um, mm. So, so of but at the end of the day, in order to do any sort of payment, mobile yeah. payment, um, you do have to think about licenses. Mm. And in in China case. Uh, WeChat and the BAT, Badu Alibaba, Tencent, yeah. are, have really, it's one country, so you deal with one government, yep. you get that, and that market is uh, over 600 million mobile um, mm. users. Quite a few. <laughs> just, just a few. Yeah. So in this case, um, I think for Southeast Asia, it, I, I believe Line already support that, right? Yeah, but it's not as prevalent in 
like I said, we see Line in, in Thailand. Line Pay is not as prevalent as WeChat or Alipay. Mm. And actually, I would, I would make the argument from my experiences in Thailand that WeChat, because of Chinese tourism, <laughs> WeChat Pay has become, and Alipay have become more prevalent than Line Pay wow. in certain areas of Bangkok mm. that I've seen just because I think... You know, it's a lot of the economy in Thailand is tourism driven. Yep. And you'd be stupid not to if yep. you're if you're catering to Chinese tourists, which are a huge segment of the tourism industry right now. Yep. All over Southeast Asia. Yep. I was in Borneo two months ago in Kotakinabalu. Small, you know, East Malaysian town, not huge. But when I was eating in Mamak food, we were talking about, you know, <laughs> Malaysian food earlier. I was eating Mamak food at uh, at a little street stand in Kota Kinabalu, and you could pay with WeChat Pay. Amazing. Because Chinese tourism there is huge. You can fly direct from mainland China to Kota Kinabalu. I couldn't even fly direct to Kota Kinabalu from Bangkok. Wow. But there were people flying from like small towns in China direct there, and you could pay with WeChat Pay and mm. Alipay for you know, a five ringgit street food meal. Amazing. Yeah, it, it, it's amazing. And I think... I, I agree. I think WhatsApp missed the boat. I think Line missed the boat. Mm. But it's also the economic motivation to be able to, to use it. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> you know, I, I think no one has created, you know, from a, a perspective of China, no one has created the, the economic motivation as well as the Chinese government. Yeah, uh, I think Chinese government have... Uh, obviously, there's a lot of really interesting and sometimes suspicious things. Yeah. But... I am so impressed by the Chinese government being so goal-driven mm. and wanted to be the number one AI country in the world, the yeah. number one mobile payment in the world. Um, for sure, definitely already the number one mobile gaming uh, country in the world. For sure. And so in this case, compared to the other country I spent a lot of time in, mm -hmm. just completely, just so mm. short-sighted. Yeah. And I think that it's great to see that there's a country, just happened to be China, mm. that is so long-term driven. Yeah. So as the government, no, like for example, right, um, for we, we have some company that pitched us today, mm. um, electric vehicle. Mm. And it is, so Chinese government is really open to give out licenses for these companies to yeah. work on EV and autonomous car because it's, it's we need it. Mm. It's so horrible. Pollution is so bad. Two years ago, yeah. I was in Kunming. Uh -huh. And you could, with, I, th I think it was Alipay or WeChat Pay, you could pay on the side of the, right outside my hotel for an electric vehicle. Really? That, that you could drive around Kunming. Oh my God. Okay. Yeah. I, it was about two years ago, maybe a little bit less. But yeah, I walked out of my hotel. They had these little EV cars. Hmm. And you could you open up WeChat and you had to, like, I think you had to scan a QR code. It's amazing. Yeah. You don't even see that in Silicon Valley. No. <laughs> you know, and it, it, it's crazy how, how much opportunity you have as far as economically in China. And like you said, with a long-term vision. Yep. I, I, everyone knows about the Great Firewall of China, I think. And I, I always had this perception that it was about information control, mm -hmm. which I think to some extent it is. But I really think it's more about economic control. Yep. And... It was only like this past 18 months I've really started to come to that realization. And what, what had me thinking about it was I was uh, giving a talk. I was keynoting at uh, the Gongzhou Innovation Festival last year. Mm -hmm. And I was using the VPN to like just chat with friends. And I was like, shit. You know, like you, you mean to tell me that China couldn't shut down all the VPNs if they wanted to? I, <laughs> I think they, they just don't care. I think it's they just want to make it difficult to use the outside world. Mm. They don't want to make it, you know, easy. I I think that it's so hard to manage um, a country with over almost 1.4 billion people. Yeah. And and I think the big thing for uh, many of these, by the way, I'm not that political, but no, oh, okay. not from a political yeah. perspective, but technically yeah. and economically. Uh, all, all I can say is that I still remember. So my. My, fam my mom's side of the family is from Beijing. My dad's mm. side is from Hong Kong. Mm. And I remember, you know, when I was 10 years old, I still remember the days that my, my aunt make mm, equivalent of $30 US a month. Mm. So 
was that not that many years ago, and people were really, really poor. Mm. And I think that now, now she's doing amazing, mm. and no longer poor. And but still, the population and the you know government leader remember the days mm. where their parents, even themselves, was going through really tough economic hardship. So in this sense, when you know when there's that going on, you you really need to make sure that the the country is growing in the right pace and the right way. Mm. Um, otherwise, it's really dangerous because in their head, we could lose it all mm. over again. And so, I think. What they're trying to do is understandable from from my own experience, but it's difficult for the outside world to understand mm. because, you know, the Western world has been so free the the whole time, but they really didn't have to worry about all the other things that they never experienced before. That that big growth came way before most of us were born, right in the West, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Now you grew up in Hong Kong, right? Yeah. Or in mainland China. Uh, I grew up in Hong Kong mostly, okay. and then and then spent a lot of time in the U.S. So how do you how do you end up, you know, at 500 startups? How do you end up in in the valley? Yeah. So I uh, I went to the U.S. when I was 16 years old. Okay. Uh, I was a exchange student. So like five student. years ago, six exactly. years ago. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. <laughs> and uh, I spent 10 years mostly in enterprise software, Siebel, okay. Oracle, Autodesk. Okay. Uh, and then after that, I thought enterprise software is so boring. <laughs> Uh, I wanted to do something on my own. I st started a, actually, I started a meetup group, an entrepreneur meetup group in San Francisco. So the grew that from five to 10 to 30, 100, 300, 800, turned into sort of like a media business. Okay. But then I realized it's so hard to scale up. Mm. And so I joined another startup called Dolphin Browser. Uh, Dolphin um, was a Chinese team in mm. Wuhan and Beijing. and But all our user was, outside of China. Okay. Uh, we grew from zero to 150 million install worldwide, um, about 30, 40 million MAU. Mm. And then we sold it to uh, Changyou, which is a Chinese gaming company. Mm -hmm. And then after that, I thought, oh, I really wanted to learn um, to do investing. And so a few of my old colleagues became my LPs. I mm. joined 500, um, wanted to invest in things that I understand. Uh, that's why I'm in 500. And I really enjoyed the 500 environment because it's the only Silicon Valley VC that truly care about um, the world. Because all the other VCs, friends that I know, they don't really care. And they, they, <laughs> wow, you just outright said it. <laughs> they don't, like, because it's not comfortable for them to invest in, in you know, entrepreneurs that is outside of their driving distance. Yeah. And I, and I get that. Um, so it's just different strategy. There's no right or wrong. Mm. But I found myself that every time I come, I mean, this is only the third or fourth time I've been to Malaysia. Um, I'm already learning things that, like, I didn't know, especially today is such a special day. <laughs> right? It's a crazy, crazy day to be in Malaysia. Huh? Yeah. Um, History. History is Historical. Been made. Yeah. And just even just learning that, I found, wow, you know, just not something that I would have... I couldn't even pronounce a mm. lot of these things that's going on today. So. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely it is a special day. And it, for those of you guys who are listening, because uh, this will come out in like a month, uh, we're actually recording this on uh, the day that the election results were announced on the tenth of May. Yep. So big day for Malaysia for sure. However you view it, it's definitely a historic day. Yep. And you know, I've been to Malaysia. Over 30 times in the past three years, mm -hmm. for sure. Maybe more than 50 times. I keep filling up. I fill up like one passport a year. <laughs> so, uh, and we only get 52 pages in the U.S. passport. So okay. we run through it quick. Um, but yeah, it's, there's there's so much to learn about the, the region. And you know, I, I do understand what you mean about 500. I, I laughed that when I said like, oh, you just came right out and said it that other VCs don't care. But but it is kind of true. Like we see, like five hundred has like their own little brand, their own flavor of five hundred in different parts of the region, right? There's like five hundred tuk tuks. Yep. Uh, you have is it five hundred gojeks or whatever in uh, Indonesia? Uh, not yet. <laughs> we have five hundred durian, durian uh, yep, led by Kylie. Uh, tuk tuk is uh, mu and crating yep. uh, in Thailand. And then five hundred Vietnam is uh, Bind and Eddie, mm. and uh, of course, we have Vija in Singapore. 
we have so many awesome people yeah. in Southeast Asia. But I mean, you guys, what, what I like about 500 is that you guys actually have like a, a local flavor everywhere you go. Right. And <laughs> you, you know what I mean? I, it's bad to say because you have 500 durians, but which is, <laughs> you like durian? No. No, okay. Not my either. favorite Good. fruit. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Horrible fruit. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think you slowly learn to appreciate it. I've, I've tried it a number of times. I cannot learn to appreciate it. <laughs> okay. In, uh, in Thailand, they call it the king of fruit. Oh, yeah. Totally. Yeah, and uh, people love it. They go crazy about it. <laughs> yeah. I, I, can't get, I can't get behind it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I think, like, the, the king of fruit, the king of fruit, like, literally, in Chinese, they call, like, the, the best durian is the cat. It's the alphas. Mm. Yeah, the alpha. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Anyway, you, so, I mean, we're talking about China. Jack Ma was just in, in Thailand, in Bangkok, making a, a big announcement with uh, Alibaba and Thailand Commerce and everything. And one of the sellers of durian in Thailand did a special deal on durian, and they sold 80,000 durian in like 30 minutes. Wow, that's amazing. So it's like something in China. They sold 80,000 durian in China on Alibaba in like 30 minutes. I'm sure that there are more people who love durian in China than, than uh, anywhere yeah. else in the world. Well, I'm sure more people do a lot of things in China <laughs> yeah, than yeah. else in the world. I actually met someone, an entrepreneur in here in Malaysia, who's working on a, uh, a way to incubate a very certain type of durian. Because, you know, Malaysians take their durian very seriously. Incubate. Yeah. Uh huh. No, to yeah, to like um, I don't know if incubates the right word. Um, but like there's there's a way to like uh to take the seedlings, the durian seedlings, and grow like the trees have to grow for a certain amount of time. Uh huh. I think incubate <laughs> is the word he used. Yeah, yeah. But um, because it, it requires a special structure and like climate and everything. Mm -hmm. But the whole reason that he's able to do it is because Chinese buyers will pay premium for these seedlings. Mm -hmm to buy the durians once they've developed to a certain age, the trees, and bring them to China to, to grow the durian. Amazing. Yeah, so it's, and I, I get something about, because they're, usually they're grown in like only a certain region of Thailand, and he can, he's growing them in Malaysia, and he's found a way to scale it. Amazing. Because they, they want to buy that durian. That would be a big business in China, I guarantee it. You know, here in Malaysia, they have durian buffets. Oh, my God. Yeah, you can like, you pay like, a, I think it's like, maybe a hundred ringgit and like eat unlimited amounts of durian. That's some smelly restaurant. Can you imagine what that buffet smells like? <laughs> no, even worse in the bathroom. Yeah, well, <laughs> <laughs> well, usually they're outside, I think. <laughs> okay, got it. <laughs> one, one of my Malaysian friends video called me from the buffet once because he was teasing me about like, oh, when you come, we'll go. I was like, I don't think so. No. <laughs> and he, drove, he drove like two hours to go to a certain buffet because they had a special type of durian. Wow. And uh, he video called me in, like, in front of him and he's eating the durian. I was like, oh, don't, don't call me. What are you <laughs> <doing>? <laughs> okay. Interesting. So you said, uh, I want to get back to the investing. We've talked enough about crappy fruit <laughs> <laughs> or good fruit, depending uh, on who's listening. Yeah, sorry. But, <laughs> but uh, you talked about you want to invest in, in companies that you understood or companies that you believed in? Both. Okay. Uh, I think that in terms of type of companies, that I look for, I'm. I have a lot of appreciation of for 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 people in Asia in general, mm. um, particular China in terms of their operating efficiency. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. uh, having said that, it's more a personal interest. I just love more deeper tech um, okay. companies. I'm really into blockchain. Okay. Uh, for the last twelve months, I pretty much spent majority of my time looking at. Uh, blockchain and crypto related deals. Okay. Um, having said that, I just I'm always fascinated by um, sort of the more crazy tech um, mm. companies. More, more or less, I think barrier of entry is higher. Okay. Um, and and obviously sometimes it's a balancing act because when you are focused on very deeper tech, mm. um, later on it's, it's a little bit more enterprise driven because mm -hmm. you have to wait for a while to get certain technology to be mature enough. We talk about autonomous vehicle, but mm. none of us have really been in it yet. Yeah. Uh, but it's coming, but this sort of, the life cycle is just a long time. Mm. And as much as I'm very excited about you know, blockchain, I think this is still really, really early on. Um, certainly, I actually, I'm excited about the crypto side of being asset class, but also I'm excited about the technology of blockchain. and. 
it's really, really fun to, to learn. I, I'm actually very interested in blockchain as a technology as well. Mm. Um, not so excited about crypto. Uh-huh. I, I see personally, I see crypto as a huge bubble, very dangerous. It is. And I see, um, I see it and it reminds me a lot of, I, I worked for an Amazon-backed uh, startup in the late 90s, early 2000s called Cosmo. Mm-hmm. And it reminds me of my experience in the dot-com era. Uh-huh. Like, like I see a lot of parallels. Yep. And you know, whenever I talk to people who are like closer to my age, um, like especially like here in uh, in Malaysia, I talked to Ganesh Kumar, and when I was in Indonesia, I talked to um, uh, Shinta Bubu, and they're both like similar, close to my age, and they went through the dot com era as well. They see like the same thing. So I, but then I like oh, I kind of feel like an old guy because I can relate with all these other people. <laughs> but um, I, I see, you know, crypto in that sense, um, in not from a technical perspective, I think blockchain's amazing. Yeah. Um, I'd, I'd be interested to hear what you think are like the biggest areas where blockchain's going to make an impact. I, I really love the idea of IPFS. Okay, uh, why? I don't even know how to actually, the acronym stand for, but, but the essence of being able to share what you have and incentivize. Yeah. So so let's say and actually honestly like BitTorrent which mm. been around for a long time but that isn't there isn't like a token associated to mm. it. But all of us own a piece of music and instead of me going to somewhere in a server to, to get it which mm. is so inefficient and I'll be able to get it from you cuz you're right next to me. Yeah. And you get incentivized because you have resources that you can contribute to the network. Mm. Imagine the same concept, but related to storage, CPU power, mm-hmm. um, or even in some way the physical world already have Airbnb and Uber. Mm. But now we have so many resources on a computer, on a phone, and there is a lot of really fun things that we can architect in a way that all of us incentivize to contribute to the network. Mm. And, and therefore, I get it more efficiently. And obviously, I think that it's, we're still quite far away from, mm. from the point where this could be as fast as a centralized server can provide today. Yeah. Um, but I think it's a matter of time. And not let alone that there are a lot of controversial this, these days about mm. privacy and the ownership of data. Mm. And I, I'm not trying to say that blockchain is going to solve all world's problem. Yeah. Well, nothing will, but... Um, but it's just so interesting for, to look at this data architecture and kind of change the way that I think about trust, store value, custodianship, mm. and it's just really fun to think about. Yeah, there's, it, it is fun to think about. And it's, it's fun to see that the opportunities is opened up for entrepreneurs in some respect. I was just in Manila last week and I met with someone whose whole company is based on building tech on top of the Ethereum blockchain. Mm. Like, that's their whole company. They're not doing ICOs, they're not doing coins, they're creating you know, services and products. Right. That, just a few years ago, that opportunity wasn't there. Yep. Right, and so it's really it has done some stuff, economically, you know, technically that's super interesting. I, I look at blockchain and I think about because I, I come from a telecom background, uh, engineering and telecom, and I, I look at it from that that kind of telecom perspective and you know the opportunity that it offers for people, you know, similar to what you're talking about with sharing resources and being able to trust and have contracts. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, we see some of the problems that have happened with Bitcoin and the way that blockchain has been adapted there and the, the slowness and the expense that's kind of been incurred. Yep. So there's still issues to overcome, but that's opportunity, right? Yep, yep. And uh, there's still a lot of scalability, yeah. privacy, security problems that need to be solved. Mm. And I honestly, I don't think I'm smart enough to solve any of these. I'm, well, I'm being a spectator and be a big supporter. Yeah. Um, I'm just so excited to, to, to be able to help and support some of these projects. Dude, when you look at Asia from a, a blockchain perspective, do you see any unique use cases in this region versus the US? There are a lot more uh, DAP level, application level mm. uh, use cases that in the States it doesn't really exist. Mm. Uh, for example, uh, I, I was talking to a friend from the Philippines, and he was telling me that 
the, the whole, because most of the Southeast Asia uh, users are prepaid, and in certain countries, let's say the Philippines or Indonesia, they don't want to pay for data. Mm. So sometimes, for sure for voice, but sometimes maybe one or two days mm. of data yeah. out of 30 days. So imagine if, so therefore Facebook will say, hey, whitelist, we pay for it, right? Mm -hmm. So free Facebook, which in mm. certain country, it have the whole net neutrality, <laughs> a different can of worm. But, <laughs> but, but there are certain um, big apps, yeah. companies that pay, pay for every, all the data for that particular app. Yeah, well, I came, so I came in yesterday, I bought a SIM card at the airport that included uh, unlimited uh, Facebook and unlimited WhatsApp. And, and because Facebook can afford it, yeah. right? But if you can imagine, um, so this friend of mine in the Philippines, and I apologize, next, I forget the name of your company. And what he told me was say, there are more and more companies like Grab mm. uh, will go to them and say, hey, we want to do the same thing Facebook is doing. Oh, Nix, Nix. I think I just interviewed Nix. Yeah, yeah, he's amazing. Yeah. And, um, and then there, there are uh, other gaming or there are other applications say, hey, I want to do the same thing um, just like Facebook and, and Grab is doing with you. So he was using blockchain and smart contract to, I mean, he would do much better justice than I can but sort of automate this particular process. So an app developer can say, hey, I'm willing to subsidize the data and I'm, I can work with you sort of automatically be, I'm simplifying the process. Um, then now the users can get data subsidized by the app developers. This is not a use case that exists in the US. Um, and it's just amazing to see there are some really good application that can be built using smart contract. It definitely is an exciting technology for sure. The smart contract in, in general, I think, is, is really something that, that's going to change the way a lot of people do business. Mm -hmm. You know, whether it's even like small, small time business people, like street food vendors or mm -hmm. big companies. Yep. Now, I know because you're in the Valley and I know that uh, the whole Bitcoin, you know, crypto bubble was, was not, I don't want to say bubble because people get mad oh, at me. Oh, it's a bubble. Trust yeah, me. Okay. <laughs> I, I, yeah, but I say it and I get hate mail. Really? Like, yeah, I call it, I always call it a bubble and I harp on it a lot, but I know it was big in the Valley. A lot of people were uh, like saying it's the future of currency, money's dead. <laughs> you know, have you guys, as, as a start, as a VC, 500 startups, have you guys invested in any coins or, or backed any coins? Uh, we do can, now. You do now? Uh, so we uh, we invested in the equity Tok Tok did okay. uh, on, on Omise, okay. which their uh, Omise Go is a token. Yeah, uh, and I actually invested in the equity side of Stellar, mm. um, and then Stellar is also doing amazing. And because of these two, um, we started to pay attention to wow, maybe we should check out this token thing mm. and. So early this uh, end of last year, we um, uh, actually made some adjustment to our funds. Mm -hmm. So now we can officially invest in token uh, okay. with our fund. Oh, so, so you had to do some regulatory thing with your funds that you had to make adjustments to, or yeah. just allocations? Um, like regulatory. Okay. Uh, a lot of the the VC fund um, in the valley actually cannot invest in token, and well, why is that? Because. <laughs> uh, it's not truly equity and security. Mm. So you're holding nothing. Some, something. <laughs> well, it's not truly anything, right? Right now, because <laughs> no, I, I mean, not. I mean, not. I'm not trying to take like a, a dig at, at crypto, but it, it's not really defined as anything, right? Um, so right now, uh, most of the crypto exchanges are getting a little bit more careful mm. that. Because if you are using ERC-20 and issue token, mm. it really smells like security. Mm. Um, but essentially, what the definition is most of these is trying to be a utility token, which this token exists for a reason in mm -hmm. that whatever ecosystem. That So I think that right now, because it's such a gray area, there's yeah. still a lot of things to be defined. Mm. Um, last year was insane. This year... A few things. One, I think more and more regular um, regulations will come out, and better policy from. But again, it varies uh, from country to countries. Mm -hmm. 
and the exchange is getting a little bit more careful. Mm. Um, and I think that most of the projects are waiting longer to issue their token now because they understand that they may get themselves into trouble, um, not just for the investor, for mm. themselves. Yeah. This is sort of like a security, but you, you, you make it sound like a utility. Mm. Um, so not all the funds, VC funds, can invest in token. I, I am very bullish mm. still, even though I do agree with you, there's a lot of craziness and 99% of these projects are all scam. Mm. Uh, but there is a handful of good ones that I really want to be supportive mm. and they are raising token only. Yeah. Um, so I would say on average, we now invest about one token project a month. Oh, that's that's a lot. And it's not a lot compared to all the other investments that we have done in yeah, the, no, in but the I, but fiat I mean, world. From from a just from a VC perspective, I think that's that's quite a bit. Uh, yeah, we look at many, many, many awesome projects yeah. every day, and a lot of scam project we turn down. Yeah. Um, or sometimes just projects that we don't want to focus on, right? Mm. And in the U.S., I think if it's too application focused, it's not there yet. Mm. Um, just depends on country and vertical. Uh, your understanding of that particular vertical, or is this certain horizontal problem, let's say scalability or security, that can apply mm. cross-chain that we think is interesting? That's, that's so case by case basis. So I'm going to assume because you guys are investing in one a month on average, mm -hmm. that you don't think regulation is going to kill the crypto market. I think that right now. This is a great question. I don't think regulation is going to kill the market. Mm. I think that mm, this particular crypto asset class is here to stay. So you think it's a long-term value? Uh, I do believe it's long-term value, but I think last year was crazy. Yeah, you can't yeah. judge. You can't judge the the future of crypto off last year for sure. Yep, I I think that um, just the value of digital asset mm. is borderless. Mm. And I actually think that, that all the banks need to rethink the way that they do business. And as particular, let's say with cross-border remittances, mm. why in the world like, do we have to pay, I don't know, 40 to 40 US up to 100 US when I transfer money from US to Thailand, let's yeah. say. Why? No reason. The no reason. Yeah, you know, that's one of the things that uh, Manila, my, my interviews in the Philippines, really flushed out was the huge remittance market. Yep. I, I think everyone who's traveled knows that you'll pretty much meet a Filipino anywhere. Yep. Because um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. a big part of their economy is labor. Yep. International labor. And that's so right. remittance is a huge business there. Mm -hmm. And I, I met a lot of people who talked about the way that crypto, and I, I like the way you put it, digital asset, not digital currency. Right, uh, changes that remittance market it has the ability to change it, and we we met some people who talked about the hidden cost of remittance, not just the the in yeah. institutional cost, yep. but the hidden cost of remittance and how crypto changes all of that. Yep. Um, a great question. I, you know, a great great answer, and I think it, it's true that it it's going to change a lot of things. Remittance is one of them. Yep, and uh, it's really, it, I think it's about time that a lot of these traditional uh, businesses protect them, themselves because they've been around for so long. I don't mm. want to discredit that. Yeah. I do think that it's great to have regulation to protect in terms of security, compliance, mm. and sometimes you know, like the the crazy people sort of take it too far. Also, so I get yeah. that. Um, well, but, I mean, last yeah. year we heard people were selling the idea of pump and dump as a as a viable <laughs> investment opportunity. Anytime <laughs> yeah. you hear someone talk about pump and dump, it worries me quite a bit. Yeah, and. We, I mean, that happened in the old days too, mm. you know, in the penny stock market. And, yeah, yeah. and I, I found myself learning so much about like trading. Now there are more and more the fiat world yeah. traders are slowly migrating over to crypto <laughs> yeah. and, and slowly defining some of these basic rules mm. um, to, to get into the place. And there are folks also doing. Um, you know, working with governments, trying to define regulations uh, for these crypto exchanges and mm. thinking through how to use, do stable coins. Um, so that the digital, you know, the Thai currency, bot, bot, bot. right? Yeah. Um, ringgit. Yeah, and, ringgit. Uh, like why, RMB. Yeah, and why do we have to have like physically whole 
anything. Well, this is my thinking. So I, I, I would love to not have to carry cash. That would be my dream. And <laughs> if I want, I should move to China if that's what I want. But yeah. um, actually, I think foreigners can't do a cashless in China anymore because you need a Chinese bank account. I think that's right. been shut down ah. temporarily at okay. least, I believe. Okay. Um, <laughs> Don't quote me on that. But uh, one of the things that I wonder about, because it, it, people do refer to it as cryptocurrency, you said it's a, a digital asset, right? Mm -hmm. Which I think is a better explanation. I don't think you can call something a currency unless it's backed by a government or at least <laughs> backed by some type of governmental organization. I think it's a misleading term. Um, I'm, well, this is really philosophical. Yeah. Um, but I, at least my interest is looking at digital asset as yeah. a whole. Mm. And some of them smell like currency. Some of them are utility in certain ecosystem. Mm -hmm. um, could be remittances. Yeah. But there are many other use cases that is related to. And by the way, doesn't there's a lot of let's say blockchain application for mm. logistics, supply chain, trading, yeah. healthcare. Um, and do they really need a digital asset to support it? No. Mm. Um, but there are also many things like virtual goods, like mm. within gaming. Yeah. Uh, there's all these whole live streaming uh, economy, particularly mm. in China and more and more in Southeast Asia. I give you virtual gifts mm. and for you singing. Mm. And things like this, those are all digital asset. Well, about 10 years ago, currency within uh, video games actually became a, uh, a, a hot point of regulation in the US. Mm. Uh, I believe it was with World of Warcraft. Yep. And, uh, I remember at one point reading about the size of the World of Warcraft economy. It was ridiculous. Yeah. But it was all based off, and I, I believe the, the, the concept of currency versus asset was was the big kind of point on regulation and the debate at least around it. Yep. I, I'm not here to, I'm not a lobbyist. No, 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 no. Uh, and I'm, I'm not asking you to be. I'm just yeah. kind of, I, I remember that being, and I don't think crypto is the same as what World of Warcraft was doing a decade ago by any yeah. means. But I just remember like, that has been a hot point of debate and policy and regulation yeah. in the past. Yep. On that note, I actually think that the gaming community, which already get this whole digital asset concept. Oh, yeah. And uh, I, I think this is just my prediction. 2018, we will see some super awesome um, sort of digital currency use cases sort of like move to a different direction. Really? Because... From the gaming world. From the gaming world. The user already get it. They yeah, already That's true. They're, they're native to it almost. Exactly. And mm -hmm. and uh, can you imagine, let's say in World of Warcraft, we get these sword weapons. And now I can use a weapon token to go buy, I don't know, um, you know, Big Mac. <laughs> because I I value that. Yeah. Right. And... Anyways, I, I think just... You're a big World of Warcrafter, uh, are you? Uh, no, I'm not. <laughs> I sucked at gaming. But I, I have so much appreciation for people who are great at it. And, yeah. and I just found it fascinating because the mindset of designing the game or thinking about the token economy, um, they're native. For uh, sure, yeah. Have a much better grasp of it. Mm -hmm. You know, Now that you say that, too, I think to... I have one friend in particular who is very big into crypto early on. Mm. Yeah, he's also a huge gamer, probably one of the biggest gamers I know. So, uh -huh. it, you know, I, I, I can, in my head, I'm kind of connecting some dots now with the things you're saying. Yeah, for sure. It's really exciting. And I think this year we will see some really interesting use cases coming out. Um, you want a crypto or not, but, but I think the, the gaming mm. community will expand their sphere of influence. In the specifically in the crypto world, I think so. Wow. I'm going to hold you to that, Edith. And okay. If, uh, <laughs> it, when it happens this year, I'm going to get you on the show to follow up, and <laughs> we're going to talk about how you you broke that news here first. <laughs> <laughs> no news. This is a prediction. <laughs> so w when you when you think of that, you look at the gaming space now. Do you do you see anyone in that space that you think is going to be the one to to break that ground? Uh, I, on that note, it wasn't completely prediction, but I just I started seeing uh, in China mm. there is a, a gaming engine called Coco. Mm. Um, they didn't. By the way, China completely banned yeah, any sort of ICO. Yeah, you can't you know, do right? anything. But I just so they they've been around for a while. Um, 
they have like over like a million developers on the platform. Oh wow! Uh, mostly more mobile games, so, so mm. it's more engine level. So it's not for consumer at all. Okay. And but they do have this platform for you to create a sword or or diamond, mm. and so their whole thing is um, they actually just did an airdrop for about ten thousand developers of their own token, wow. and trying to encourage them to start circulate cross game. And I found that cross game. Can you, so if you use this engine to build, I don't know, a a card game, and I'm using this engine to build a casual game, uh, but we both have a diamond. That's huge. And now yeah. we can trade, trade across game. Sort of makes sense, right? It does, but I mean, as a concept, that's huge. I I love that concept, yeah. and I like the way that they did so elegantly. Yeah. Um, forget about all these crazy, you know, crypto stuff. This is just makes sense to me. So so in this case it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So oh, wow. in so in this case, okay, great. Like why not more of other gaming developer community um, think about this? So that's what I'm excited about. That, that's a I'm still blown away by the concept the cross game trading of assets is Yeah, for sure. Super interesting. I mean, they control the platform too, so it's yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah, it's really, really exciting, and yeah. and uh, and plus they already have a existing developer platform. A million developers. Yes, so oh. I'm super psyched. I mean, they're not as I feel like they're not as well known, but it's called Coco 2D uh, Gaming Engine. Yeah. Uh, super fascinating. Now, with them being in China, though, that that how does that impact their ability to to use those tokens? Um, they they are not. Like trading and, and so it's just internally only. Yeah, so internal. They are tokenizing it. Yeah, and it's all within the platform. Great, yeah. awesome, and just makes so much sense to me. Yeah, and I in this case is a great use of blockchain mm. because I'm literally tracking. Okay, I am the person who created this digital asset of um, of this really cool flower. Yeah, that looks like diamond. Whatever. And and now it's being used in so many different games, mm. and uh, it's being traded. And there's a record of that. And the record of that, and mm. you know, you can see the transfer of value. Yeah. Um, it just makes sense. Mm, it does. It, I'm still a little bit blown away by it. It's really cool. Yeah, exciting. Well, I know that uh, you have probably meetings this afternoon, Edith. <laughs> so I, I want to let you go, but I first want to just thank you for taking the time to come on and talk to me, talk to the listeners and share your insights from 500 startups. Not that I'm sure anyone needs to know this because they probably all already know it, but if they're interested to find out more about 500 startups or if they want to send you your pitch deck, where do they do that? Uh, you can easily <laughs> find me on uh, the 500 website, which is 500.co. Yep. Uh, and I'm very easy to find is uh, edith at 500.co. And don't be sending her your scam uh, ICO decks either, guys. <laughs> yeah. she's, she's, she's gonna know what's up. <laughs> all right. Uh, all that all that information will be down in the show notes, guys. Make sure you check that out. Five hundred startups, especially if you're in Asia, is really active in the scene. Um, I've been to like some of your events in Bangkok, and I know how active you guys are here. So check that out, guys. And until next time, stay on that grind. Thank you, Dana. This is the Southeast Asia Business Podcast with me, Dana Bloom. If you can't reach me, I apologize. I didn't ignore you, I was in disguise. In disguise, man, you know I got a big surprise. Ask me why, cause I'm trying to build an enterprise. Airplane mode on the 